0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry podcast with me, Philip Heidson, and with Dara McCampany, Chairman, I think El Presidente still, and co-owner of English League One Side, Peterborough United. Whatever you want to call me. Um, Today we actually have a special two-part conversation. So in this first part, Dara and I, we're going to answer listener questions. We're going to have a chat about the week. Then in part two, we're going to be joined by Bradford City CEO, Ryan Sparks. We're going to chat a little bit about some of the topics of the day, also discussed the life of a football CEO. Brilliant. We had a pretty quiet week from a football perspective.
1: No, no football for me and you this weekend. Nope. <laughs> the dreaded, first it was the vid, then it's the weather. I mean, it's just like non-stop. I mean, I said the other day, it's going to be Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday soon. It'll be yeah. a battle of attrition. It'll be survival of the fittest. It'll be who's, he who's left standing by the end of the season. <laughs> it's just going to be like that.
0: At this rate, we should just all go down to Hackney Marshes for a weekend and just play back-to-back.
1: Do you know what? It is what it is. Uh, it, it's the circumstances are obviously on parallel before uh, what we're dealing with. But after having football snatched from us last year, I don't care if we're playing every
0: two days. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop people complaining about it. So Ian Everett at Bolton today complaining, Oh, we gotta drive here and we've got to drive there. Like not like you know, every other club in the country's gotta deal with the same thing right now.
1: Seventy million people who are illegally legally not allowed to drive fucking anywhere. So mm-hmm. I think any manager or player moaning about driving somewhere or playing anywhere, fucking give it a rest. Because really you're being tone deaf, you know, um, with everything going on, with England still fucking acting like a giant prison, you know, even though they've like vaccinated, I think 20% mm-hmm. of their population is still locking everyone up and keeping kids from school. So I think at this stage, um, we're very lucky in our sport that we can go out and about.
0: So you're by Jurgen Klopp's coming under a little bit of pressure. What's all that about?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I hate to see it. You know, the guy lost his mom a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I lost my mother in my 20s, and, and it's tough because I, I was in America when she died, and then I was still working and trying to fire. Mm-hmm. It was really difficult juggling, but I did it, and he's doing the same, and he's doing it like a pro. And unfortunately, this is what happens when you're flying high, as we know. And people, yeah, they love you. And then when you're going low, they can't wait to kick you. The only criticism I give Jurgen Klopp is taking uh, Jordan Henderson out of his midfield. It's the biggest mistake he's made all season. Mm-hmm. I don't care if he played two 18-year-olds at the back and put, you know, had Henderson in midfield. With that, we would have picked up more points even. That's my only criticism. But this flack in the book he's to be sacked is absolute fucking nonsense. I mean, this is the greatest manager we've had since Kenny Bale. Right. So give it a break. If you want to get angry, aim the anger at the owners of Liverpool. I've said this before. They fucking let him down big time. They penny-pinched in the market. They waited till the last minute. They've put that team in this position. If you want to get angry, get angry at the sports scientists or whatever they do, because Liverpool's a walking wreck when it comes to injuries. Mm -hmm. No coincidence. Even like Ben Davies, he's played every game for Preston suddenly had a fucking injury this week. So, you know, that is incompetence for me. I hope Liverpool get top four. And even if they don't, even if they finish ninth to tenth, you back that man in the summer and you get on with it. And with everything going on at the moment, I saw his interview, it was really sad where he was, you know, obviously admitting they weren't winning the title, but you could tell it's weighing heavy on him, everything going on with his Mm -hmm. mom. So times like that is horrible. It's like, I want to send my best wishes to Kenny Jack at Portsmouth. He's going for surgery. Hopefully Kenny's going to be okay. Steve Cottrell, hopefully he's recovering. You know, um, a Shrewsbury after the COVID he's had and he was in Mm ice. So you don't want to see anyone in your game, in your industry. These are comrades, even the ones you don't know. They're still part of the same tree. And, And it's horrible to see. And we need to back the fuck off and give people like that a little bit of time and patience and empathy.
0: You know, empathy is the word, because sometimes we get caught up in the rivalry, and, um, you know, the. uh, I I don't want to say hate, because that's too hard of a word, but there is hatred, and it's just, at the end of the day, everyone's a human being, whether it's a player, whether it's a manager, anybody.
1: Liverpool, I got up at 7 a.m. on Saturday to watch the game here in America. Liverpool were brilliant for 75 minutes. Thiago's a fucking idiot, causes the foul. They don't defend a free kick. Alisson looks like fucking a world loser goalkeeper, never mind world-class. You want to see world-class look at a Man City goalie. Alisson, whatever's going on with him, with his glass-like injuries this season, in games, he's been a disgrace for a 60, 70 million pound goalkeeper. What he did to that young centre-back on Saturday, fucking lunacy. The two passes last week against Man City. So if you want to give someone criticism or heat, you put mm-hmm. heat on people making the mistakes. You don't go after the manager. What happened on Saturday? That's seven minutes to capitulation. That wasn't down to the manager. That was down to player incompetence. And unfortunately, in football players can let you down and they can win things for you. That's just the way it works. And when you're in a rut and things are going against you, shit like that keeps happening. But they will play their way out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. You've actually been getting uh, having some conversations. It's been interesting on Twitter this week. I think there's been some uh, regret on the side of Fulham oh, and I- not pulling the trigger on Ivan Tony.
1: But not after, I think, it was Josh Malib to scored two goals it yesterday for them in the win against Everton. Mm-hmm. So they're all happy. But yeah, no... Um, I was, uh, I was asked questions during the week because Ivan's obviously like scored more goals more assists I mean the guy's just a machine and um, people were asking the clubs that were in and obviously it was, it was no secret Fulham had inquired for you know both Ivan and another one of our players in the summer their CEO we knew their manager it was high on his list to recruit Ivan I think it was competition and backup for Mitrovic because Mitrovic mm-hmm. never played a full season and there were conversations but the bid needed to be approved higher up it never came, uh, and we moved on, and obviously, we did business elsewhere. Unfortunately, I, and this wasn't meant by me. This led to a lot of the fans started digging out Tony Khan, who's the son of the owner. He, put, he puts himself out there on social media, so as we know, you can get shot down out there. And I'm looking at the comments, and I'm like, oh, my God. my! I mean, the comments were horrible that we're going after him. And here's my thing. That ownership as yes, they've been relegated twice, but twice they got fallen back to the Premier League. They're refurbishing Craven Cottage in there. And that's no mean feat getting that place redeveloped because it's, it's tight. They're good owners. They always pay their bills. You know, they backed their management. They spent two years ago, hundred million when it went up. They spent, they did less last summer, probably in mind what happened last time. So yeah. they've given a young English manager a chance. I found the vitriol and the criticism going towards the, the Fulham owner, son Tony, you know, way over the top. Uh, and I didn't mean to set that off. So uh, I hope, you know, they win plenty of games and they kind of lay off because we need good owners. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know him and his dad and they're good owners. They own an NFL franchise, employ a lot of people in America. They're good owners. And I keep saying this, let's not try and get rid of good owners. There's a lot of shit owners to like focus our attention on. (laughs) Don't chase out the good guys. (laughs) Yeah, let's chase them fucking assholes out. But don't go after good owners. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I I was like, kind of like, Jesus Christ, what have I done? And this is, you know, why well, I'm not on social media that much. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, I think Fulham. Hopefully, they'll be okay. And you know, it was a great win yesterday. Did Liverpool a favor, so I was very thankful. Everton for losing.
0: <laughs> now, talking of uh, it's, uh, I guess a, a loose segue of Ivan Tony into. Uh what Brentford did this week and came out and talked about BLM and Black Lives Matter and not taking the knee. And we've talked a little bit about this on the pod before around that's you don't necessarily need to take the knee to repre- to believe in all the things that you know you need to believe in and you need to do. But
1: Yeah, um, play, I, I respect the players and I respect the fact that they're saying that since last June they've been doing it. And, and my point's been from the very start that these things they're doing are all well and good. But I've always said players, everyone employed in football, we need to do more you know, than just signals, you know, we need right. our money where our mouth is. We need to come up with policies. We need to get behind, kick it out. We need to, you know, I've given money to kick it out. We need to ensure we eradicate, you know, all forms of race, racism, prejudice, hatred, fucking all forms, social media, wherever you can get it. I mean, everyone's going to have to social media. They're not going to open accounts and not, you know, non-anonymously. They're mm-hmm. always going to have anonymous accounts. Otherwise there'll be no Twitter, there'll be no Facebook. So you're wasting your time asking them to do that. If people in football want to set up their own social media company where you do make it, where you have to register mm-hmm. with name and stuff like that, maybe footballers should do that amongst themselves. Maybe they should all come off social media like Facebook and Twitter, summon in football a load of players with money, put some money together, go set up like a parlor. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, you know, the lefties in America won't.
0: That's the thing I came to mind for me as well. It's like the, the yeah, parlor for footballers. Well,
1: hopefully the tech tyrants in the left in America won't come for those footballers for opening their own business. And they open their own business, their own social media, and they can make it a, you know, all sports, all football players are on this medium. If you as a fan want to connect with them, you have to go, you have to register your name, your address, and do it and verify it properly. And that way, then, that's one way they deal with the problem. But I respected Brentford's stance. I've said it from day one. I knew down the line that people were going to regret their attachment to the actual, the organization of BLM. And, because we all saw what happened over here in America, long before January the 6th, with Antifa, with BLM, and the riots and everything in America. And when Sky and all these big companies started putting it on their TV and started investing money and started giving them donations, I was like, this is the virtue signaling going on here is going to bite you in the ass, you know, down the line. Because we all believe the three words, but a lot of people know the movement's very different mm-hmm. from the three words. So I think a lot of the players are just fed up, being dragged into, we're part of this movement. When they're like, well, not." it's not the movement, it's the racism itself. So kudos to Brentford and any players who do it just like I'm not going to criticize players who want to stand for national anthem. I think it was the Irish rugby team got slaughtered recently for a load of their players, you know, didn't kneel. They stood for the national anthem. That's you're within your right to do that. You know, we live in, we live in a world where people are vilified for standing up for what they believe and for, you know, loving the flag or loving the national anthem. And I fucking hate that society that we live in. Mm -hmm. The people go out and call racists for not basically taking a knee. So that is down to the individual. And you respect them if they do it. And you respect the person who takes a different approach. I've always felt that way. And kudos to Brentford and other clubs that will probably do the same.
0: Now, I wanted to move on to something that you, you hinted on Twitter last week that you're going to share some thoughts. And I guess it's from a question that you had on Twitter about up-and-coming managers that you're seeing. So, put you on the spot. What are some up-and-coming managers that you're uh, you know keeping tabs on these days?
1: You only have to go down and see certain managers, the way they play, what they've done. Like I'll give you an example. The Rochdale manager, even though Rochdale struggled, you would look at him as a young manager who plays great football. Their score lines are fucking mental, <laughs> you know. In a good, you know, four four, five four, three two. The thing about his teams that you watch, and, and it would be a sign of a good manager, is you look at the way they play, the goals they score, and the fact that they could be three 0 down and come back and draw the game. Mm. They are dangerous teams. They play without fear. He has young players. He sold a young player to Man City on deadline day. So Rochdale have always had a good reputation developing. So he's an up-and-comer in my opinion. Even if he got sacked, I still think there's something there ingredients wise to work with yeah. to set his team out the right way. You look at obviously um, the Chapman manager, the Newport manager, the jobs they've done mm-hmm. lead to, you know, with the budgets they have. You would look at the crew manager, the crew manager with the young players he's put together the last two years, three years, four years, and he's had promotion and he's made a very successful team this year. You know, they're top 10 League One with the budget they have. They've sold two of their best players in January. Again, a great manager. Artel, I believe his name is. Mm -hmm. Um, Who else am I look at there in League One? um, I think Ryan Lowe's done an unbelievable job at Plymouth. Yeah. It won't be long before he gets an opportunity. Um, You say young manager. He's only been a manager three years. He's already won the League Two title. He's won a promotion. He's now in League One and he's doing really well. He's fighting all the odds. Who's at the top of uh, non-league? Forget about Gary Johnson the Torquay. We know Gas. You know, that's what he does. He can go and get any team out of the League. He's brilliant. Right. But up-and-coming manager-wise, who else is there up there in second and third place?
0: Sun United in second. Hartlepool, Stockport, Notts County. Yeah. Ultringham. Yeah. Wrexham. Eastleigh.
1: There you go. So, you know, again, you would look at and analyze some of those teams and how they play. You would look at their managers. Some of them have got experienced managers in there, so they wouldn't be young and up-and-coming. But there's definitely a list of four or five I've already got. That mm-hmm. manager got recruited by someone else. Who do we be going for? Another thing a lot of people tend to go down the route of now, they look at academies in the Premier League. You know, you're Steve Coopers of the world. you Critchley's of Blackpool of the world who are doing jobs at bigger Premier League clubs. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they'd be good if we pluck them and put them in a Football League environment. That can go two ways. It can be really successful or it can be a fucking disaster because they've never managed a club. They've never been a first-team coach. They've always yeah. been up with young, young players. So, again, you're going into addressing them and dealing with egos. You know, dealing with various players, you know. You only have to look at League Two, and, and you look at three of the top six in League Two and you think, Christ, you know, those clubs low budget's doing very well. Um so that that's where I would be with if I had to go out there and recruit. Obviously, you know, I'd make a call that he have for sure, but I doubt he'd want to drop down to league one. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm joking>. Yeah. <laughs> We've got our own as well, you know, coaching talent within our club. So you you know, you you, you always look at it, you know, and go, where do you go shopping for a manager, a good manager? And some people have said, would you get a foreign manager? And I've always said, I'm not sure about that until we're in the championship. You know, I'm not sure foreign managers in League 1 and League 2. Mm. You know, I'm kind of a bit like that with it.
0: Well, it's interesting, like, as you look, what does success look like? You know, because for a supporter, you're kind of clamoring for, well, if you're going to drop down a division or a club, and I use this... Um, not to demean any club but when you look at them and say hey maybe they don't come from a smaller club than my club and you know i want someone therefore who's been ultra successful and you go and you bring somebody in that on the face of it doesn't have the points on the board you're obviously looking at something different and that's something that perhaps a supporter doesn't see well i've just mentioned about the rochester manager
1: you know they're in the, they're in the bottom six and they One. so you go well why would anyone recruit him but what i'm saying is you look past that you look at football you look at the recruitment you look at what he's dealing with, with a 900 grand wage budget. You look at, they're entertaining, they score goals. And then you think, what could he do with a budget? What could he do with better players? They're all the things I look at. But I've always said, like, my manager's fantastic. It's always amazed me, you know, bigger clubs, even ones trying to get out of League One, haven't tried to recruit him, you know, with his record of motions, his style of football, his team's always been up there trying to get promoted. Do you know what I mean? So... I don't know what goes through some owners' heads when they're going to recruit. Maybe they leave it to the CEO. We'll speak to obviously Ryan later in the segment about, you know, how Bradford are doing it or what they're going to do in the summer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some some owners are, are run by agents. So the agent I know for a fact there's agents who bring managers to clubs and then you end up with seven, eight of their players and they're stable. You know, yeah. that to me is like that can't happen. And that goes on too much in football. So there's a good mix at the moment. And then you've got your your dinosaurs per se, who your older managers are still doing it. And, and some of them I respect the hell out of. Steve Evans, if we're playing, mm-hmm. his team never know when they're beaten. Um, hopefully, we're not in that situation on Tuesday when we play them. But very tough to always play against. They'll beat anyone in any league. And you see that even with Gillingham. Then you've got Keith Hill. He's now mm-hmm. doing a-, he a tranmere, isn't he? Yeah.
0: And doing quite well there after a rough spell at Bolton.
1: Well, and, But that's Keith Hill. I've always rated yeah. him as a manager. Um, who else you got in there? You've got some, you know, um, Steve Cottrell's gone into Shrewsbury. We mentioned him earlier. And fuck me. They're beating everyone in sight. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Carl Robinson's doing well at Oxford. You know, they won 12 out of 13. And then the one manager I said to you before, Darren Moore, I'm astonished, you know, no championship has tried to nick him off Donny. Because if you look at what he's been dealt with every time, you know, he's been at Doncaster two years. They sold John Marquise last year. They sold Ben Whiteman this year. He's never moaned about it. They probably have a really low budget in comparison to previous years. And he's got on with it. He's recruited from the Premier League, some really good young players. And he's a no fuss, no nonsense manager. And we speak about minority managers and whatever else. Mm-hmm. You look at a job he's done, he definitely would deserve and Donnie fans well not this a really good championship job. I'm really happy to see Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. I love Jimmy. He's yeah. gone to Burton and he's made Burton really tough to beat. Mm-hmm. I think they beat Hull last week. Um, so again, we're seeing some good managers lose their jobs. I think I saw today on Twitter it was it was wrong before that Darrell Clark's even gone from Walsall today. Oh really? I hadn't seen that. We lost two managers from League One last week, mm-hmm. Northampton, and who else got sacked? There was Northampton and one other one. There's, there was definitely two sackings last week in League One. So, again, you know, this is what we're dealing with, and uh, it's 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 a tough job. Life expectancy is 11 months.
0: So, <laughs> let's go into a couple of questions before we go into the second part for today. And... Um... We have a question from Richard, who's a Derby fan. He said, aside of posh's pitch issues, uh, you know, which we've discussed on the pod previously, there is a significant, or at least he's noticed, a significant increase in poor pitch quality this year across the EFL. And just wonders if if it's because of the weather or is it because COVID events leaving to owners cutting back investing? In-
1: and. Yeah, that's, a, that's a brilliant question. Look, for us, it was nothing to do with cutbacks because we have a, a contract and a system in place you can't cut. We, we paid for two really expensive pitches, one on our stadium, one on our training grounds. That was like nearly a million quid in pitches. Ours was a fucking disaster. They were water pipes, so we never cut anything. In fact, we've had to spend more because of the issues, but there is no doubt in my mind, had we, for example, really struggled financially, didn't have that top pitch, it was a normal pitch, would I have cut 40% of the money we spent on pitches, training ground, everything, drink? Absolutely. And you mm-hmm. can't anyone in League One or League Two has done that. Because like I keep saying to you, we have no income. So the one thing when you've no income, what do you tend to do? You look at your costs and you want to drop them down. And, you know, that's what the PFA yeah. fight, getting rid of the salary caps, blowing my fucking mind. Do you know what I mean? So we're dealing with a situation where every club has fuck all income. I always joke here and I take them out. When I have Zoom calls with the club and the staff, I go, there's my big scissors, what are we cutting today? <laughs> yeah. after COVID, we've had this conversation that you have to be prudent and all those little luxuries and some away trips for the football players and some, you know, um, supplements, all the little things you spend thousands extra on are like gone, 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 gone. So it'd be no surprise if people have done that and that's the quality the pitches have dropped. You know, we spend hundreds of thousands on our training ground on our main pitch every year. These are things you're always going to look at the bottom line. Because when you go to your, your P&L, you're going to look at the big figures on those outgoings. It's never the small ones. You always tend to first mm-hmm. all You highlight the big ones. Wages. You know, <laughs> transfer fees. signing yeah. fees. Agents fees. Pitch costs electricity, you know, all those big course you start going, bang, 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 how do I slice and dice that down? So no doubt, great question. He's absolutely right.
0: I think, you know, um, from my perspective as well, before learning a little bit more about the ins and the outs of a football club, you know, you look at the pitch and you don't really realize how much investment goes in because, you know, it looks like, well, you know, the, a bit of seed, get the roller out, a bit of mowing and jobs are good.
1: And it's not only that, if you have a training ground like us where you've got four or five pitches, you know, you've got to understand the company you use, deals with it all. Mm-hmm. and, and you've no idea how it, it, it's an expensive thing it's not just cutting the grass you know and trying to sprinkle on it over the years i've had to put irrigation into our main ground i've had to spend 80 grand in irrigation on our training grounds because we had to bring out hoses from the old school to try and water the pitches mm-hmm. And then you have, to, you have to dig under and put proper irrigation in that shit's not cheap <laughs> it's crazy
0: so i have a question from michael who is a posh fan um and it's about insurance when you're buying and selling players but in the context of when you buy a player and we've talked about before about you know you're paying in a series of installments Yeah. what would happen if a buying club went into administration further down the line
1: as long as they're not out of business you know they're an efl club we still get the money because all, all debts to footballers and football clubs that are kind of like they're secured they're guaranteed you get paid so if a club owed us 200 grand and they went out of they went into administration. They're slicing and dicing and doing deals. They can't do that to us. They've got to pass.
0: Yeah, all, all football debts are at uh, the top of the list, aren't they?
1: What you can do is you can renegotiate. So, for example, we did it during COVID. We had fees due to big championship clubs. Mm-hmm. And we went to them when COVID first struck and said, hey, you know, we're due to pay 300 grand in May or June. You know, Cut us some slack. Can we pay it in four installments over four yeah. months instead to help our cash flow? It's not yeah. because we were out of money. It's because with everything going on with COVID and all our bills to pay, it was the prudent step. I had Barry make calls. We had some clubs like Bristol City who were fucking brilliant, who agreed straight away to restructure like payments. And mm-hmm. that was like a godsend. And then we had other clubs I'm gonna mention in the Premier League who said no. You know what I mean? So, you know, again, that shows you, you know, the, 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 you know some clubs- Who's are the,
0: in it for everybody.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's kind of like the ones you expect to say no said yes, and the ones you expected to say yes said
0: no. <laughs> (laughs) so taking that a step further the club goes into liquidation do you have any any recourse if it's and you know let's say bury you've sold a play to bury you're due 100 grand from bury and now they're liquidated
1: yeah but bury had um there was money with the efl that was going to be owed to bury and i think that was settled on football debt Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure if it's a large amount of money you know you could get caught but it's very rare a football league club goes into pure liquidation Mm I think we've had more than 20 years. Yeah. You know, that's the chance you take when you do deals with clubs.
0: All right. Well, we're going to leave the questions there for this week. We're going to be back at the other side of the break when we bring in Ryan Sparks, CEO of Brava City.
1: And brilliant. And before we go, don't forget hardtruthbusiness.com, the subscriber network, business network, business pod coming out soon. You guys need to subscribe. We're flying. This is launching.
0: Get on this. Email Phil us contact at hardtruthfootball.com for all of us. If you go to truth Business.com there you can leave your details. And we recorded the first one last week. So it's just a matter of us getting everything up and running yep. with the web page so that we can hit that go button.
1: Oh and if you're looking to sponsor the uh, the business pod as well we're open to that and sponsor packages. We're gonna mm. have private people who are subscribing to it. It's gonna be good to endorse your product. Get on that contact us on the website. Thank you. We'll see you after the break All right thanks everyone
0: hi there everybody and welcome back to the hard truth inside the football industry podcast and we joined today uh, in part two by ryan sparks ryan is the ceo of bradford city and i'm going to try not to make this into a conversation for the next 30 to 45 minutes just about bradford city because uh, Dara might have something to say about that but welcome to the show ryan
2: thanks for having me phil and of course Dara.
0: so i guess it would be remiss and you know I hate to start here by saying youngest CEO of a professional football club because I don't believe that's a label that, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. But it, it's still from a contextual perspective for those who don't know about you and know about Bradford City. So I wonder if you could speak a little bit about, you know, your journey to kind of become the CEO of Bradford City at such a young age.
2: Well, first of all, I'm only just the youngest chief exec. I've ruined uh, David Sharp's title. I think he's about 33 months out from me, uh, the, the Mansfield chief exec. So, But me and David get getting well, but he's not much of a friend these days. Um yeah it's well it's been an interesting route you know I joined the club 2018 on the back of um yeah the summer of madness which mm-hmm. uh, ultimately placed us back in league 2 with championship manager style recruiting um spending 4.1 million losing two going down on the lowest points tally the club's carried since the prem and the highest budget since it's carried since 2004 maybe so yeah, that was the cataclysmic shambles I walked into. But you know, I'd I'd been around the block a little bit for twenty nine. You know, I was part of Bradford Bulls. Um, sadly, on the wrong side of it, saw the the administrations. So I was kind of built for it. You know, I knew I knew it was going to be a dark period, but I, I wasn't really fearful of it. Julian Rhodes came back in, previously owned the club, steadied the ship. I didn't trust that situation at all. Now we're very close friends. It's amazing how things work out. My trust levels were low, but I saw the reality. was very honest with me. And I think, you know, to fast forward it, obviously I've taken on a number of roles. I in charge of the comms, the commercial aspects of the business, more accustomed with football finance now. And, and then in the summer, Julian turned to me and said, would you be interested in the job? Um, I said, yes, of course. That's always been my ambition since I was 16 to run a club by 30. So that was my target. I said, look, I've got some frailties, I won't lie, but I could use the, the summer. And to be fair, the pandemic has accelerated the development because I've had to get right down to the raw detail very quickly. And when we hit you know, rock bottom this season, which was second bottom in League Two, uh, I thought that was my cue to start the job, which some people might find is slightly insane, but um i felt us drifting and anyone that knows me knows i'm a little bit over the top and a little bit perfectionist about things i can't i can't handle you know the the idea of us drifting um and i just grabbed it so here we are today i think we're nearly what two or three months in and um it's not been without incident (laughs) to say the least
0: yeah it's putting it mildly i think um But, you know, when we're three months on, I think in a very different position, even a short period of time, which we can kind of chat about a little bit. I wanted to just, something you said there about ambition, you know, something that Dara always talks about is kind of go big, or go home. And I know that that was something that fueled you, Dara, during your 20s. I mean, did you feel like it was going to be inevitable that you were in this kind of position at this kind of age? It felt like a path that you were on, or was it a little bit more opportunistic where, you know, the the desire was there, but you weren't sure where the opportunity would come from?
1: Um, I always felt like I'd get where I needed to be. Yeah. Listen, I'm an arrogant bastard at the best of the times, but I'm also very confident. So, even 2021, when I was setting out, I was very confident where I'd go. And, you know, whether it was being a millionaire at 25, whether it was owning a sports franchise at 30, look, those weren't surprises to me. And I don't want that to sound conceited. It was expected. The bumps along the way, they were surprises and they definitely weren't fucking expected. But, you know, that's life. And um, Ryan said it there himself look, the goal is I want to be a CEO by 30. So, okay, if I get it at 31, I'm a year out. I'm okay. I've reached for the stars. Fallen short a little bit, but I've got what I wanted in the end. So, he's done it before 30. He's coming at rock bottom. And that's the best time probably to go in. When the shit's hit the fucking fan, everyone's pretty much given up. The white flags are out. There's really only one way to go. Yes, you can drop into non-league. (laughs) <laughs> but but there is only one way to go you know if you go in with a plan if you go in with transparency and honesty and I think he's done that and, and the fans have taken to him and, and call it how it is and say it how it is and like I, I like what he said when he interviewed for the job I've got frailties there's nothing wrong and I've said this in the business pod there's nothing wrong with admitting that there are things you have to improve and learn you know you're not going to be the finished article in your 20s as a CEO of a football fucking club not to chance you know you're going to get scars along the way you're going to get bruises, you're going to get bumps, and you're going to learn. But you're definitely not going to be ready for it. Um, but if anything, this is going to prepare them for what's ahead. So, you know, I like hearing things like that, you know. And and, and the real test will be, and I always say, show me the colour of your shit, is when the shit really hits the fan, you know, to see how you react to that. So the last few months have been good, Ryan. I presume you've enjoyed it. The football's been okay. You've been doing well on the field. The fans are probably with you. It's again when it turns and it doesn't football. It was a hmm. Yes, it does for everyone, even Liverpool. You're going to lose four or five games, and that's when you hold, keep you cool.
2: Yeah, and that and that's for me a massive part of it. I've always said, you know, you don't get too up, and you don't get too down, and, and I've always believed that. So you know, you can imagine the shit I took the day I got the job was uh like no shit you've ever seen, in, and I hope I never see it again. You know, it was pretty, it was pretty shit. I didn't really give two shits about it, to be honest, because. I didn't. I didn't want to be deterred by that. In fact, it probably inspired me to kick straight on. I think my family were a little bit hurt about it because they they're cut from a different cloth, and I can understand that. Wow was the <laughs> response from my other half when I got through the door. What a day! But I knew that was coming. I'm not the sexy article that everyone wanted, and but I didn't really care. You know, I just think if if you believe in what you can do, and you set you set you set your stall out and follow it. Um, I've always believed that if you level out your principles and you go in a direction, people eventually will will probably follow you if you're going in the right one and they can sort of see it and believe it with you. And and it's tricky. There's no magic money tree or anything like that. But what I'm trying to show is that you don't necessarily need one either. There there are some things you can do that can immediately inject some adrenaline that was required and then a bit of belief in, in a different way. You know, we've restructured very quickly. Obviously, Stuart McCall's departure, in comes Mark Truman with Connor Sellers, and I bring in a recruitment director, and all of a sudden the game changes, and we start to go back to smart recruitment rather than silly recruitment. We get assets in the building. Um, I'm already excited about next season, and I haven't been excited about a next season involved at Bradford City since I joined the place. You know, it's about momentum. We've got it. You don't get momentum or luck or whatever you want to call the fancy word just by crossing them and going, let's see what happens. That's not where it comes from. It's not where the club got its success from before either. It's, it's sort of dedicated, focused pathway towards an end goal. And as Dara's touched on, I'm well and truly mindful of the diversions, the roadblocks. They're going to come. I will get called. i see you next Tuesday again. There's no doubt about it. And I'm cool with that as well. If I can achieve one thing here, it' will be that two or three results isn't a crisis, two or three isn't it's just a blip on the way to where we need to get to and and as long as people can relax in that and not panic um then fair enough you know I mean in recent days I've been accused of panicking about the national League. have I not and you know what I was concerned about the national League because our direction of travel was frightening um, but we, we have we've addressed that i mean. It's a strange situation because Mark and Connor have been in interim charge for nearly two months now, but we've only played four games. So I think they're as frustrated as anybody because they's just like, can we just get this season going? You know, when I stood on the field the other day, which resembled Bradford Ice Rink, um, and we had the game off, and then yesterday there's a fire at, in a floodlight at Oxford. You're thinking, what is this season about? It's like someone doesn't want it to happen, you know? Um, but I think we'll get there, you know, in the end.
0: You know, there's something you said about um, Your know, three games doesn't mean disaster, and three games losing three isn't a panic, and winning three, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go up as champions. Yeah, I think something you mentioned there about having something bigger to believe in. I think that for any football supporter, you know, you're kind of willing to take the peaks and the troughs if you see that the general um, direction of travel is the way that you want to go, and and that's something we've we've not necessarily had for a long time at Bradford, certainly.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's not just the direction of travel because I think the direction of travel. Prior to the last, not Julian Rose, the previous chief executive, or won't waste my time talking about. That direction of travel wasn't a direction that was a direction, but wasn't even communicated. And then it became obvious that it was a shambles. But I think the one prior was a clear direction that perhaps it could have been communicated harder. I think that if fans think you're doing it with them, know that you're doing it with them, which I want to do. And I've said that publicly. Um, as long as that communication lines there, and, and and you know things like even things like this, you know people. Can, I'm I'm here. I'm now. I can be talked to. I'm very approachable. You know, I, if a fan ever has a problem, I always say well will just pop down. You know where I am. You know what box i sit sitting on a on a week to week. And I think that's the key, really. You know, it's more about. I sat with our associate directors uh, last Saturday, and we had a conversation. And some of the questions were, so, were, were were questions that I didn't expect. It was like a small fans forum, to be honest. And I kind of, after I said to one of them, how come it was so passionate? Like, where's that come from? And they said, well, that's the first time anyone sat with them for four and a half years and talked to them about their club. And I was like, wow, fair enough. You know, so it's just a little reminder. You know, I'm probably quite fortunate that I, I come from a school of public relations, so to speak, and my career was based on comms and crisis management comms, you know, really, if I'm honest. So I can see when people feel that they need to talk, I get there quicker. So I try to answer the questions before they get asked. is kind of my style and it served me quite well as that. And obviously you can appreciate it's been frustrating for me, not in regards to Julian Rose, but working behind the previous regime, if you like, I was having to essentially polish shit, to be honest. And... um, that's difficult and i don't mind doing that if it's your own stuff that you've done yourself but when it's things that you're not really accountable for it's it's pretty stressful you know at the best of times so you know i think that i think that's its a key pillar is that and it's something that gets overlooked you know everyone goes oh I'll just get on with it ignore the fans yeah yeah i can see that you can't be distracted every day by a supporter's opinion because you'd never make a decision uh, but as long as you make strong and cool and calm decisions and more good than bad And you kind of, with your supporters when you do it, I think you're okay. Let me ask you a question about ownership.
1: A couple of questions. One, what kind of owner is he? Because he's had a lot of flack from your fans since he's he's been there like four or five years or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, second question is, do you speak every day? Um, Or is it every few days? Uh, From a decision-making process, do you have 90% of the decisions you can make? Or is he a micromanager where you have to go to him over every single decision? So a couple of big ones there. Well,
2: so we'll start with that. He's the polar opposite to a micromanager, which is the only reason I would ever do this job. You cannot, for me, have someone who constantly wants to be, you know, and I've had it in the past where the owner's the best commercial manager, the best marketing manager, the best finance manager. They might as well be in the dugout as well. In fact, we had one here not that long ago and it essentially smashed the club to pieces. Inside out, outside in, fans wanted to go, sales through the floor, club lost its way. Um, I speak to him through the window, you know, we chatted quite a little bit because there was a couple of players I wanted to invest in. And at the end of the day, it's it's his club, it's his business. I'm quite fortunate in the sense that he lets me run the club as I see fit. Um, I have his support. And if there's ever something that I realise is probably just one yard above making calls that would change the club forever, whether it be about Valley Parade or something like that, then, yeah, of course, we'd have that conversation. But um, he's very loyal to me. He's been quite loyal to this football club. He has... The one thing I like about him is, um, you know, he knows he was complicit in a cock-up. There's no doubt about that. I don't know what the German is for that, but I'll let him fill that one in. Um, And he wants to put it right. And he knows that putting me in this... Chair was, uh, in his opinion, an educated risk because he knew there could be backlash. But here, here's a prime example. The previous chief executor, Julian Rhodes, cost him best part of 10 million with the sale of the club and um, the money he had to put in to fix the mess of 1819. And the German newspaper destroyed him the other day and he was asked to comment and he just said, nah, couldn't care less. Just completely classy about it, you know, and that's. That must be so difficult, you know, and and to, and, and a number of the things that he's had uh, leveled at him, I think he, he accepts and he takes, but he gets it, he's had it quite a lot. So I'm sure he would like to see the other side of that. Um, but yeah, no, look, fully supportive of what we're doing. He understands the uh, methodology. And it's quite interesting that when Mark and Connor began to turn the corner, Possibly on an unprecedented level, if we're honest, they've now broken a club record as the most successful manager-managers in their first eight games in charge the club's ever had. So it's it's not really a fluke anymore. After three or four games, I went home and I thought, okay, we've probably arrived at decision time now. It's stick or twist. Do I bring a new manager in or do I let these guys go? You can appreciate, without going into too much detail, we were getting close to... Um, having someone in the door. We had one or two very good options, but they were different styles, of course. And uh, I got home at night and I thought, wow, what do I do now? This is the toughest one. And just as I were literally about to give him a call and say, I'm going to let Mark and Connor run until further notice, and I'm going to take the risk and let on my head be it. He texted me and said, just hang on. I think you should hang on, but it's up to you. You know, whatever you reckon. But I think you should hang on, and that's that. To me, was it was it was weird timing, but I enjoyed it because I thought it's nice that he's in my corner. There's no, you know, and we're doing it together, and that's the main thing. And it's tough because he's had a rough ride of it, and he's had some probably some fair criticism which he'd accept, and he's probably had some stuff that's a bit too far. And Darry, you'll probably see it yourself. I don't know. I, I see. I saw it from. I've seen it from games over the weekend of teams that are dipping. You know, sack the ball sack the manager sack everybody I mean my god
1: I've been in it 15 years and you know bar social media you know a couple of trolls I've always said to the fans look you want me out you'll show me I'll move on I'll do it yeah. no problem at all but I've been in it long enough to know trolls don't bother me um, you know, fans vote with their feet if we lose 20% of our fans in the gates I know I'm the problem so i yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. walk but I think I've been, whether it's fluky or lucky, 15 years without really major fan issues. I've been just very blessed because I've seen the abuse some owners get. I've yeah. seen them bring their families to a game. You know they can't. You know that must be
2: horrific when you're paying the bills. I, I saw I saw the Pompey owner, who's probably quite close to you guys in the states, yeah, in absolute dogs abuse when they started the season. I'm like, my God! I would just chuck the keys in. But like he was putting, I think, 700 grand a month in, which, OK, maybe some of that's his fault. So he probably takes it on the chin. But he's literally flushing it in just to keep the lights on. And they want it gone. And it's like, wow, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, look, listen, it's one of them for me. I, I We have a good relationship. We talk. At the minute, I probably talk to every two or three days. It might just be the odd text, call, the odd Zoom. It would have been nice for him to get over, but he just he can't at the minute. Um, I'm sure he'll be here next season when we're playing, or behind with fans. Fingers crossed. But yeah, no, and it's good, and, he, and he's really approachable and all that, and that's the main thing. And sometimes if I say like maybe a push back on something or pull that, that we can push and pull, and we've got a good relationship where there's, there's trust, so there's no issues, you know, and that's that's really important. If I don't have to walk in here every day with that kind of shadow over me or the cloud above me thinking now what's coming and i've had that with owners in the past where it completely demotivates people you know and if i become demotivated by something like that you can't lead your staff to anything better really no
1: let me ask you the next uh, important
2: question if
1: your management duo have that run and they'll have that run eventually because every everyone who goes into management knows they get back eventually because that's just football um you know darren ferguson was Two months into the job, Barry Fry walks in the office and goes, listen, you know you're going to get sacked eventually. And then he won play games. And, Barry, and the manager's like, what are you talking about? He goes, your dad will tell you. Every fucking manager has one guarantee in life they're going to get sacked. So this dream pair of yours, let's say you don't keep them in the summer. Let's say it comes to the stage where it gets a bit rocky. Um, what approach are you taking for a manager? Or what, what approach in recruitment? Are you, considering you haven't really done this before, You're a virgin to the whole thing. You know, who are you going out and getting? Are you getting someone young? Are you getting someone old? Are you getting someone in the middle of the ground? Are you getting a previous legend back again? What are you doing at the football club?
2: Well, I I think I I have always believed that you're in a position where if you allow the manager to be essentially the chief executive and they go off and say, I'll do the recruitment, lead me to it, that's... You know, it might be a quiet few weeks for you, your life gets a bit easier. But as soon as the manager's gone and the the, card, the pin's pulled out, the whole thing folds like a deck of cards. And I've seen it too many times. You know, um, every manager I've seen here come in pretty much. You know, they've had big summers, big spends or whatever. And then they go and the next guy goes, well, I don't want that. It's not my kind of team. It don't really work. So I think it requires a change up in general. I, I, listen, I'll go as far as saying this. I want Mark and Connor to succeed. I think everybody in Bradford does at the moment. There are guys they're from within. We've not put them at any any jeopardy. What I like about them, and what is very clear to me is every game they talk about how they're gonna win the game, not about how we're gonna live with the opposition. Love that, you know, and we're Bradford City, and that's what we should be about. We're not coming into someone's garden to kick a ball around. We should be trying to win the games. And I've never once heard him, even against the toughest comp, teams in the comp, Salfords. He always come to me privately and publicly and say, "This is how I'm going to be. This is how are going to try and beat them. This is where they're weak." And the effort they put in, the hours they put in, the analysis—it's so refreshing that it's 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 provided a quandary, but a quandary that I'm not fearful of because I, 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 we all want them to win. I want them to be, you know, I want them to get there. And, and they do it, they're in the right track. But one thing it has done, and having Lee Turnbull in the building as our recruitment director, and we've created a bit of a technical board and, you know, around deadline day, we were able to say yes and no to people. There is a certain player in this division who's joined a club in this division that, you know, we didn't want to sign. And it was off the back of conversations. You know, in the past, that wouldn't have happened. There's a youthfulness about it, but I'm not ageist because if I was, I wouldn't be sat here. So... You know, it's refreshing and it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. To answer your question, Dara, I I, I am of an opinion that I would like a manager who will adapt to a, a, a direction that involves sensible, common sense, but very strategic and clear recruitment. You know, absolute nail the recruitment. This league, salary cap, no salary cap, which I'm sure we're going to get into is about recruitment. This team, this club, has won in the past by nailing its recruitment. And when Phil was here, Phil might have been more of an old-school manager, but he had a recruitment man in the building. They spent hours on it. They met players. They did player profiling. They checked it. Every position had an idea, a look and feel. And and and, and it's about having the characters coming through the door. Now, what Mark and Connor have done, again, a massive doff the hat to them, is they come in, they've educated themselves about the division, but wide open to opinion. You know, they're interested in what Lee's got to say. They're interested on how much money I think we can spend on that player. They've got their analysis working night and day, looking at players now for the summer, and they might not even be the managers. And that, and that to me, is where we're at. So I would certainly want to continue down a path, which is... Um, and, and I won't lie to you, the managers that we spoke to about this job the ones that were dealed in and out of the negotiations were the ones that were open to that element of change and that and that vision for it because it just hasn't worked and you know I've always kind of lived by Einstein's definition of insanity and if you do the same things over and over again trust me it's not going to happen so um, we do have to change up We need to, we've got new blood in the building off the field and on it and that fresh feel has lifted the fan base I've seen that it's lifted our commercial partners. They're going, wow, I, I, I want to be in this. What are you, what's going on? Something's happening at your club again. I'm in. And when it comes down to pounds and pence and budgets, you need them in. So um, I wouldn't do it for the effect of that. But for me, you know, I take the, 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 the lessons that I took from my last rugby league club. A lot of people, when I joined the club, it was a laughing stock. Myself and the chief executive worked closely and we built. A strategy which then fed into the recruitment. We sign players that are going north, not south. At the very least, they were going east or west, and they come in the building. They want to win the league. You sign a player that's going south; he don't want to go to League One because he's going to be unemployed. (laughs) So it's not that hard, you know. People make it into this massive thing. If you sign a player that comes in the door and he's either from a higher division or from a lower one, and he wants to go that way, and he's and he's and he's of an age that you believe he can achieve it. Get him in the door, uh, providing the price is right. So if you go the other way and go, well, he scored thirty goals like five years ago, which is some of the recruitment that's gone in the last three or four years here. That's why you end up nearly in the bottom the bottom of League Two.
1: Great points. Let's let's change course on that. And, and look, these guys sound like good managers. Make sure they don't get nicked. So you're going to have to tie them down soon.
2: You keep your, you keep your hands off them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Listen, if my manager gets nicked, I'm ringing these two guys. I'm always...
2: <laughs> Not, <laughs> Not for them. sale.
1: Not for sale. They sound like they're on non-contract month to so month. That'd be a cheap recruitment. Anyway, joking aside, um, let's, uh, let's talk about salary cap. So obviously, you know, COVID comes. COVID takes away all our income. Me and you spoke about trying to do budgets for next year, which you can't. And with, within all this pandemic and all the money that we're not making and we've got no income, the PF decide to go to court, fuck off the salary cap at a time where none of us have any money. And we as the EFL obviously lose. I don't think we're going to repeal it by the sounds of it. I don't know if I'm wrong on that. But the reality is I like the salary cap. I thought it was the right thing at the right time because
2: so of what's going on. What's your thought, man? I thought it was the possibly the right thing at the wrong time. I found it difficult that we were in the middle of a pandemic. Clubs didn't know their ass and their elbow. And it was all about driving through a cap. Uh, I've worked under salary caps before. This was the one that this lacks so much uh, in terms of intellect. It is such a naff salary cap anyway. Um, it's, beyond, it's beyond belief. It's literally just fill it up and sign some kids. There's your salary cap. Um, nonsense cap. Um, I don't really understand why we have to have a cap because my salary cap at Bradford is the one that I can afford in the budget. And if I want to go a bit higher, I try and flog a player or do well in a cup or knock on the owner's door and see which one works best. So I I can run a salary cap by just not killing the club. So I don't understand why... We need rules to protect, to stop people from going nuts. That's the bit I don't get. But maybe that's chief exec, Fiona, maybe I shouldn't say that. Let but... me jump
1: in. The reason you need a salary cap, you mentioned about half an hour ago, you spent the worst amount of money in League One. You went Championship Bonanza. Yeah. Your club ended up the worst points fucking tally ever relegated. You ended up at the bottom of League fucking Two. If there's ever a message of what you need a salary cap, it's just that incompetence. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that that's that is that is the key point. If you have got that person there who's gonna do that, then fair enough. Yeah, because you safeguard in the future. Now, so for me, so for me on the cap, real simple. I would have possibly voted for one that was slightly higher. Um, what scared the living hell out of me was there were I think two votes in it for League Two not to go to a 1.25 cap. Now, 1.25 with your medical and your agents' fees in. And your national insurance and your bonuses, you're spending eight to nine hundred grand on player wages tops. I don't actually think you can build a squad for eight hundred grand in this division that can keep you in the division. It would have been, abs- and here, here's my overriding point because this is the thing that no one ever talks about. In the summer, I asked one question. It was my first meeting with the EFL, and I just wanted to know what the broadcast impact was of the season being curtailed. So, how did it affect Sky Sports? Rick Parry said massively and essentially we have got a massive problem on our hands. So then I I link that back to the salary cap because if you take rugby league as an example, and it's the only one I can use as an example because I was in it. As a young boy, I grew up watching the Bulls. They had all the best players in the world and smashed the salary cap to pieces because there wasn't one. Then the cap comes in. Forget what happened to the Bulls. It's not really the relevant point. The attendance figures down. OK, the superstars stay in Australia, the Kiwis stay in Australia, the Aussies stay in Australia. No one wants to come here all, all other than your washed-up players. The attendances come down, the broadcast deal comes down, the game follows. My view was that League One and League Two, if I was Sky and I'm looking at an 800 grand Bradford City squad and a £1.5 million Peterborough United squad or whatever, the 2.5, I'd just say, you know what, we're not right bothered about League One, League Two, let's just... <clears throat> dump that we'll just go with the champ and the prem and by the way we don't want any of the TV money to run through to them divisions so then then I'll. T- for me the biggest sponsor in sport is your biggest sponsor is your broadcaster if you can't provide anything of a, a relevant sexy box office product forget it you know we've got to remember we are in an entertainment business we're a bums on seats business I think you can do it in a sustainable way but if you're telling me I can't bring a box office player to Bradford to put A 1,000 on the gate or make people get excited in any way, shape or form, I'm not sure it's right for me, you know, and and it can be done sustainably, but everybody forgets about the biggest paymaster in the game, so okay, it's not a problem now, but in 2026, when that TV deal comes up, has League 1 and League 2 got the same value when the spend is down, the guys at Salford can't sign cool players? And then the other thing with the cap, which floored it really for me, was the fact that I could go run Stockport and I know on deadline day we were bidding for players with Stockport, with Boreham Wood and we're in the mix, you know, from a financial perspective. Not because uh, we didn't have the money, but we were going to break the salary cap, (laughs) you know, and, and that's the thing. And I guess here's the big thing about the cap. To put it in, it needed to be agreed, need to be done with the PFA, which was never going to happen, because that's like Turkey's voting for Christmas. And if they had done that in the correct way, maybe like the Championship 18-month project, let's look at it, let's study it, let's work on it, I would have voted for it all day long, and so would our owner, no problem. But the way it was crowbarred in, and then to have it scrapped after the January window, I mean, there's moving the goalposts and there's changing the rules. I've been a part of some farcical situations in professional sport, but when that one came down the line and the EFL spun it that they'd been challenged by in arbitration, you mean you've been sued and you've lost. You know, the PFA showed the player power is well—it's alive and kicking. And it does worry about how powerful that EFL member vote is. I don't know what Dara thinks of that, but I sat back and thought, so what was the point in the last six months then? You know, yeah. in terms of we've put this in, we've made decisions on people's futures. Players have made decisions on their own futures with us. Um, you know, you've got budget one, which is now in a bin somewhere because it was a salary cap budget; it's gone. I don't, you know what, Dara? To be honest with you, I don't disagree with it. I just think people need to be aware of all the facts. And the thing about the broadcast deal and the the true value of the game—that was just left. They didn't give a damn about that. I think they were trying to show the government that they can get financial control in the game, maybe for a bailout. Well, the bailout never came. So I don't even know what the objectives were. I take your point entirely. If a cap had been here in 1819, we'd probably now be in league one or the championship. Take that all day long because it probably was designed to stop people like that. Um, but if you sound a mind, sound a sense, it, it shouldn't be that. Look, there's no point appealing it. I don't know what you think, Dara. I can't see them winning it. The PFA, I can never see a way where a players' union would go, yep, yeah, you know what? Let's go for it. I can't see it. They, yeah, they've
1: got too much power. And, uh, you know, I, I said during COVID that we needed to sit down with them all and get a deal done. Yeah, player yeah. Play our play, you know. And look, I, I'm all for a salary cap at the moment, 100%, because I always think it comes down to who recruits the best. And I fancy myself the a salary cap to recruit better than the bigger clubs.
2: I, just on that point, I will be honest with you, once i have got over the fact that we'd ignored a number of factors that will ultimately destroy the game at this level. I had got to the point where I, I then brought Lee Turnbull in the building and said, right, I want us to win the recruitment war of 2021-22, yeah. massively win it. And that is what we'll then build the rest of our future on, whether we like it or not. So don't get me wrong, I was really excited about it in a weird way after it had happened. But then when it got ripped out, it brought back a lot of the frustrations and the rush job and the crowbar element. It makes it look mickey mouse and it, yeah. it's
1: you know again it, it's like at this time we don't need mickey mouse we've had it for a year with yeah. no- with bailout. we've had it with the pfa not helping us with pay reductions during covid when we first and so look there's so much wrong with our game all i'd say to everyone out there running clubs i'm going to try and stick within the rules that were set out six months ago i want to go along those lines for now you know and, and, and i'm happy going with that because i don't think now is the time people should be going silly you know we We've got no income. We've got none of us have any fucking income. Bar TV money, we've nothing. So you know, you talk about fans asking you buy a player, buy a stadium, do this. They have to understand. Not even the club shops fucking open. I mean, nothing. nothing. Our, in-
2: our our income streams right now, and I don't know about yours, Dara. I follow, which we're eternally grateful for. But it's right. It's shit. Know. There's not enough
1: money. It's shit. It's shit. It's, <laughs> well, it's not,
2: it's not right. the same as. See, it's not the same as ticket revenue. Yeah, there's no doubt. But it's. It's it's better than it was, and but we are down to our bare bones. We're, we're burning money every month. We're bur- we're burning through the cash.
1: Fans need to understand this is how it's so indicative of results. Bradford, as an example, is a giant in League Two. With the run you're on at the moment, you would have preset your budget last summer. Say COVID wasn't around, and your budget would have said fifteen thousand average fans. Blah 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 blah. Twelve thousand season ticket holders. Four thousand on the day payers. Did it there? This current unbeaten run. You would have been getting 18, 19,000. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, All that excess money would generated would have been used in January for an extra little transfer fund to bring that extra player in. Yeah, yeah. Peterborough's third in League One. Right now, we would have budgeted for 6,000 fans. We'd have been up at 9,000 average right now. That extra million quid we would have generated in games because of how well we've done this season.
2: People get that. you spot on. You're spot on. And, and, and another thing that I've said about you know, Mark and Connor. I've seen some managers come here, home and away, who've had decent receptions. Probably some have deserved it. Some of them haven't. Yeah. These two guys deserve a standing ovation, even if it ends next week. Well, and, yeah. you know, I, I feel for them because when they come out here, if we had this 18,000 in here, which undoubtedly in my mind, even on a Tuesday night, after everything we've been through, I think there'd be 15,000, 16,000 in here going absolutely batshit crazy, um, provided we go in from. Um, yeah. Mark and Connor would get what they deserve. Correct. And that, that kind of kills me a little bit. They, they deserve that more than anyone for the success, which is strange because we're 20th in the league, but you have to contextualise that. And we've got about 50 games in hand, I think. Um, and that's the bit that no one sees. The beer, We haven't sold a pint in this stadium since February. We've not sold a shirt in that shop since maybe three months ago on a Saturday when we opened it for 10 minutes. Um, we're down to the bare bones. We've not cooked a meal. With the, the boardroom's not been open once this season. Um, and, and yeah, so it's you know we sold uh, thirteen thousand four hundred season tickets after the relegation. I'm just going to chuck a dart at the board and say we did the same for this season if we had have had proper season tickets. So yeah, if you had eighteen nineteen thousand, that's six thousand people, twenty five quid a pop, Massive. beer, burgers, shirts, you name it, and it and it and that's been absolutely demolished. You know, from we we we're we're well down. We must be now. 1.1, 1.2 million in revenue that's just gone. And that's, that's to say the least. And we're halfway through the season.
1: I mean, I, you know, I, I think club like yours probably 3 million you've
2: lost this year by the time it's all done. When Minim- it's finished, probably, yeah. yeah. And the other thing is just, you know, the sheer fear and uh, fear of the unknown. I think you said it on your last podcast. I had to listen uh, last night to see what we're in for. And uh, you mentioned about, um, you know, if we don't get fans back, we're going down a path that no one knows what the hell's going to happen. And some of us won't come back and uh, that anxiety is very real. It is very real because um, it's one thing having anxiety about staying in the football league. It's another thing trying to run a football club like Bradford City with literally zero (laughs) income you know
0: (laughs) so how do you plan then you know because some of the questions that we got in when we asked on twitter we were saying we're going to have this conversation was well what's the you know the 12 month or the five year or all those kind of things when we're all kind of looking at what does next month look like so what does that do in terms of planning for the summer planning beyond the summer
2: we've got a plan and and dara's not far off at all with that comment on the the 2.5 cap at peterborough for example and run it that way we're gonna sort of work in that direction, no doubt. We're not suddenly. I can assure you, there was no victory dance when the salary got cap, cap got scrapped. Here, I was absolutely pissed off about the fact we'd spent six months talking crap about a null and void project. That's my big beef with it, and I'm, I've made that clear to the EFL, and and now no one's got a word to say about it. We're all sat there stunned and wasting time or whatever. You know, fr- from our perspective, budget-wise, you know, we've we've got a budget for a few different scenarios. Planning in the long term, you know, our long term vision is clear. We want to get to a point where we've got assets on the field. We've got a few assets off the field. We're working on that because when this club's booming in the right direction, it's a, it's a, it's a money making, it can make money, you know, and it, and it can run itself, which is really great. It's a, it's a good asset to be involved in. Um, but in the short term, you know, we will plan for, as normal. Uh, but as I said to our owner, if normal doesn't happen, there needs to be some further bailout because, as Dara's touched on, we are going to be—you know—by the end of next season, you could be three, four million gone at least. And and if there is no I, I mean, in the last EFL meeting, here's a prime example. Lots of talk about policy and salary caps. I were over that after thirty seconds. I just said, okay, so is the I follow going to happen next year if we can't have fans? Because if not, where's the revenue? And it was like, OK, we've done the bullshit. Let's talk about what's actually coming down the line. Because that, for me, is crucial. You know, I, I want to know where the money could come from. I, I'm hopeful that we can have fans back. But hopeful is about the best I can offer. Because, you know, in the UK at the moment, everything's just hopeful. Uh, it's vaccine or no vaccine and against planning against the backdrop of that is like planning with one hand up one hand you know hands over your eyes it's just difficult um i know where i think we can get to i know what you know our our long term ambitions are set internally and everyone's on board and it and it's become, it's beginning to become obvious to supporters what we're trying to do i think uh, but doing it in a dignified manner but in the short term there are some concerns there's no doubt there's some challenges Uh, trying my best to keep season tickets off sale as long as possible so we've got a viable product. You know, We we, we did a good thing last year in getting the season tickets suspended, which was financially suicidal, potentially, Um, and it took a little bit of help from the owner to tickle us over the line. But what we did do was we sold a viable product. We went back and sold iFollow passes, so now our refunds will be 0%. Other clubs in this division, not only are they facing financial problems, they're probably about to go and beg to their fans for mercy. Uh, please don't ask for a refund because you'll finish us off. There's no doubt about that. If if we refunded our season tickets now, I might as well lock the, day on, lock the door on the way out. I'd be the last one. So uh, yeah, that it's it is a tough one. Um, so we do we need to know where we stand, and it's so hard for the EFL to even tell you because no one really knows. So it's tough. It's tough. This is a tough situation. There's no doubt. Phil. Do you, um, you want to try out some of the Bradford fans' questions?
0: The question is, is the recruitment and cash generation model of buying youngsters and selling for profit, much like what Dara does at Peterborough, is that kind of a model that you're looking to replicate at Bradford?
2: Over the last 10 years, you know, we've done 9 million in player sales and, and those players were purchased for nothing, which is one way of doing it. Um, you know, In, in January, we've, we, we've, we've probably opened the door on what our strategy is. We've signed... Uh, players, and I wouldn't want to discuss the transfer fees, I think that's between us and them, but they were all, in my opinion, excellent pieces of business, particularly, uh, you know, in terms of future, uh, Vernon, Crankshaw are very exciting, uh, and Canavan and Roe are assets in their own right, they're assets for us on the field, and I think they'll have big, big impacts for us. Let me make notes of these names for next summer. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> keep away from them, keep away. Yeah. Um, but you know, you can also see we've we've done. The, you know, since I took over, we 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 signed Reese on a four-year contract, Reese Stone, mm-hmm. and we signed Finn Cousin Dawson on a three and a half. Both eighteen years of age. I think the style of recruitment. We I'm not a Brexit fan by any stretch of the imagination, but Brexit's going to help. You see, Max Waters going over to Cardiff for 1.3 million. You know, I'm I'm pretty well versed in the GBE visa model and the situation. So what that essentially means is it's a point-scoring system. If No longer will a team like Cardiff be able to head over to Germany's second division or France's second or get an academy player from Barcelona because they won't qualify for a visa. So what they're starting to do is look over their shoulders at League 1 and League 2 and make extremely high offers for relatively unproven players, to be fair. You know, I mean, Max Waters had played virtually no football in the league. Um, And then he he scored 16, 17 goals for Crawley. And I believe it was 1.3 million Cardiff paid for him with add-ons, which obviously excites me slightly because, one, it it, it tells you that that pathway is well and truly alive and it can be done in many different ways. So Max wasn't a young kid. He was a player that was kicking around in the non-leagues, had a little time at Doncaster, didn't really work out. I think he was at Kings Lynn. All of a sudden, he can't stop scoring for Crawley Town. Since he's left, I think they've lost every game apart from the league's game. So again, you don't want that effect. But we are trying to provide, give ourselves assets on the field and not designed to get you out of trouble in any way, just to simply add value to what we've got. And and should we ever need or want to create transfer funds, we can do it in a sort of natural way, you know, and, and almost, um, well, quite free, quite literally, player trade. You know, we it's interesting that um that 1819 season, there were players brought to the club for six figures, massive six figure contracts, and they've left the club for nothing. you know, so that's that's why if you if you play at it and you don't work at it, that's what the end result can be. But if you do your homework and you take your your time about it, as Darrow will tell you, you can pick up gems for not a great deal of money, and we were quite keen to invest in players that perhaps, other clubs were quite keen for the cash. You know, they might have needed the money, and and we knew which players we believe may have futures. We battled hard for Charles Vernham and um, and Danny Rowe and Canavan and and of course uh, Oliver Crankshaw. Particularly the two on deadline day, we were in a real fight with other clubs, but we were able to lure them with our sort of vision, what we are, who we are, and what this club can be. And I'm afraid there are some clubs perhaps that cannot be what we want would. Think we can be, and and it was good to see both Charles and Ollie score on the debut.
0: Well, it's about having assets in the building, isn't it, and appreciating assets as opposed to some of those yeah. players that you know I won't mention names, but they come in and and you said before those that maybe have scored goals, yeah. they've scored goals in the past, and uh, you know, but they're kind of at the tail end of their career. I mean, if you, you can come in and you can make an impact and that's one way that you get value out of them. But if they don't have an impact, then it's just a depreciating asset and it's ultimately a waste of money. Whereas at least you're increasing your chances if you're looking at the younger end because you're going to have something that's got value, whether that value is with you and it's uh, generated with you because we're going up the leagues or whether it's, you know, we don't, but you are able to sell them on. So you, you just kind of be able to reinvest back in the business. Yeah.
2: And you look at Reece and I think he's played like 20 plus EFL games. He's 18 years old. Mm-hmm. our academy is superb You know, we, we create some real players and we're creating players not to play 23s football we don't have a 23 side I'm comfortable with it I want us to take the guys from 18 and make them feel the first team and the real opportunity we've got with Mark and Connor if they stay at first team level is they produced or helped produce shall we say nearly half of the players that we will have in our squad next year or have in this year in the, in the young boys, and their methods can almost be pushed back onto who potentially could be a new under-18s coach or manager. And they see that same, this is the kind of player we need to produce to go into our team. And if, of course, we have some special players, 13, 14, that are going to get picked up by Chelsea, at Liverpool, Manchester United, and it happens, then that's OK. But once they get into that first-team arena, And the fans see them. I want them to succeed here first. And it's possible. We're pretty happy with it with with the kind of model that we're working on. It's a slight change for us culturally. um, But in the same breath, it's not. It's just, you know, we're modernising it. And one thing that the salary cap perhaps has done is it might no longer, but it has provided a reality check to players from an earnings perspective. Um, One thing I won't have is a meal ticket. If a player comes here and starts arguing over money... Kill the deal. Kill the conversation. Uh, We had a few in January that were very interesting and it became about money straight away and, oh, you're at the wrong end of the league and if I'm coming, I want this and I want that. And I just said straight back to Lee Turnbull and Mark and Connor, forget it. Somewhere plenty more fish in the sea, you know, and I don't regret any of the signings that have gone elsewhere in January either. None. I wish them the very best, but I'm happy with the ones we made. Here's the reality, it's for any player
1: coming to a Bradford, it's a privilege and an honour to sign for a club like that. So if it really is about money at League Two going to a Bradford, you know, fucking jog on.
2: Yeah, well, I think that's the thing, you know, when, you know, I know Oliver Crankshaw on deadline day was keeping two or three at bay. And when he came here, I've never seen a, I know he's only 22, he's a young guy, but he was real excited. And he, he just said, I wouldn't have gone anywhere else. I were prepared to stay in Wigan, go and train with the 18s at Wigan for the rest of the season. If if, if you'd not signed me, I wasn't going anywhere else. That's the conversation I want to have with players that want to come here. Not, oh, well, you know, it's a nice stadium, your floodlights are big and you used to be in the Prem and you wear Claret and Amber. That, That is wonderful. But how are you going to win the league for us next season? How do you intend to do that?
0: Dara, Ryan said something about increasing valuations as opposed to the, the change, like a Cardiff going to Crawley versus going into the French League too. I mean, do you see that on, from your academy perspective where you think there's going to be increased valuations from the youngsters? It's Brexit's changing everything. And you're getting more and more. Look, we sold a, a 12-year-old goalkeeper for a 100 grand.
1: So we did not have a choice. Do you know what I mean? And, and Man City, all all the top probably wanted them. Um, this is going to happen more and more. So, what you can do there is it will help with some of your losses where you do a bit of uh, child trading. I know that sounds horrible, but you, you'll, you'll bring in two, three hundred grand if you have a couple of them. Now, the well run clubs who can keep those kids through their academy are going to hit pay dearth because what i'm like for example, our under 18s have just gone back to back and won two league titles in a row. We won the two league title on Saturday. Next year, 10 of our 23 man squad will be from Peterborough homegrown players. Yeah. Now, already, during January, I could have brought in 2.2 million just on two players, that one was 16 and one is 18. And one of them's Portuguese. In fact, he's, he's on our bench tomorrow night and he scored the winner for the 18s on Saturday. So that's the way a lot of clubs are going. And a lot of bigger clubs, instead of going to France or to Belgium or elsewhere, like your Cardiff's go, well, we'll go and get waters or waters from League Two. We'll pay 1.3. He's going to come in on three grand a week instead of giving some French dude nine grand a week. And the value of the contract over four years is a lot less if you the mess, And I've always said that. Signing an Ivan Tony on X amount of thousands per week compared to giving, I don't know, 70 grand a week to a French guy or a Spanish player is a lot more sense for a Premier League club. And they're only starting to see that logic now because it's been forced upon them. So that is the way it's going. 100%. 100%. That's,
2: spot on.
0: Now, I want to talk a little bit about the fixture pile-up and all the postponements and where we go for the rest of the season. Because... You know, there's there's talk, but I don't know if it's anything more than talk about whether we extend the season or not. And Dara, first of all, what's your kind of point of view on how we're going to get all these games in?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Euros are coming, but League One and League Two aren't going to be that involved. So if I were them, I would definitely extend it in May if they have to. Um, and then we start in August. So the pandemic,
2: the shit we've had to deal with, it's a privilege that we get to play. So if we have yeah, to go... I think Danny Rose in contention for England, if I'm honest, but... It's just my
1: yeah. <laughs> if, we, if we have to go down the route of playing Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, okay, so be it. I'm not going to complain. This time last year, the right to play was taken away from us with a vote. So right now, I'm not going to stand up and go, we must extend the season. We must do this. Fucking give me football every day. I don't care. We have a squad. It's going to be battle. It's, it's going to be attritional. It's going to be survival of the fittest. And those who are left standing... That's the way it's going to be. Let's get it done.
0: Did that play into your recruitment as well, Ryan, in the kind of depth of squad versus what we were pretty shown to be lacking, I think, the uh, the previous couple of months before the window?
2: Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, you know, we, we had a um, quality problem and a quantity problem, but the quality and the quantity, if that makes sense. So, yes, we had injuries, but those who were coming off the bench, no disrespect, weren't, weren't good enough. Uh, and if and if that point wants to be argued with, just have a little look at the league table for further information. And we wanted to those who knew we knew needed to move on or they wanted to move on, it was probably most of them were mutual. I wanted them to have clubs to go to for a start, for more reasons than one, and Daryl will understand what I mean by that. But uh in the same breath, I wanted to make sure we um improved who was coming through the door and not just like for like a little bit of next season involved. So if I go through the seasons I've been here, 18-19 uh, total clear-out, disaster season, 19-20 uh, carrying some from 18-19 stroke total clear-out, paid out hundreds of thousands to say goodbye to people. And in a way, I've kind of done that a little bit in January, a baby one, but on the on the premise that when we go into the summer, you're now looking at 12, 13 players in contract, 12, 13 players you want to see in a Bradford City shirt next season can do well in this division next season, plus whatever we add to that squad. It's given us a basis, but there's no doubt the fixture pile-up had some effect because we, we lost Lee know back in January for six weeks. He's not too far off now, to be fair, but because we barely played because of COVID and the weather, mainly the weather, actually, yeah, we, need, we needed bodies, we needed cavalry, but we needed some quality. Um, and that's why... You know, it wasn't a case of just getting six out. We got nine in and some of those haven't featured as much as the others. But when the managers are turning to the bench, they've got serious options as to how they can win the game. Yeah.
0: Now I have a question on um, just on the postponements from Tom and he asks some thoughts to both of you is um, thoughts on using 4G pitches in the football league. No
1: fucking way. No. Players with knee injuries, ACLs can't play on those pitches.
2: In my opinion, it's um, a bit of a fantasy idea that, you know, I mean, if I had a £10 note for every time I had our manager saying, oh, I can't get him on the, the grass is frozen today, or it's waterlogged, we're going to train on the 4G, but X, Y, Z, A, B, C are not going to be involved. Correct. The first thing that I go through in my mind is, oh my God, so that means they're going to be undercooked, maybe not. Um, but then I hear other things like, well, we've we've left him, him and him out of training this week because he got a knock the other week. He's got the old ACL injury. We don't want to aggravate it. We're petrified. So um, <clears throat> for me, again, something I've seen, believe it or not, in rugby, an actual 4G eye pitch in Super League. Unbelievable. The injuries, the burns, which no one even thinks about off the floor. Um, it's all right put training on it when you're kicking plastic Cones and whatever, and you've got free kicks made out of plastic, but uh, free kick defenses made out of plastic um, cutouts. But when you're running around and you're trying to win matches, it, you're going to go a little bit further. Your extra ten percent. It's 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 really dangerous. It really is. And there is a place for four G pitches. There's no doubt about it. They're very helpful for us when the pitches are frozen or whatever. We can do shape on them. We can walk through. Uh, from what I understand from my management, but I certainly would not want to see a 4G pitch at Vale Parade.
0: So I know we're coming up on time. I've got a couple more uh, quicker questions. One is, um, for both of you again, thoughts on furloughing players that are no longer in manager plans, like we've seen at Barrow and, uh, and Chesterfield?
1: It shouldn't be done, obviously. However, however, we've got a government in the UK that has absolutely chopped all our income capabilities. We have no income. They're not, they're giving the arts billions. They're giving rugby, other industries millions. They've given us sweet fuck all because they go back to the Premier League. So if the government still want to play that game with us, that's from earning money, and they're offering a furlough system, have at it and take as much off the government as you can get. So that's the other way I feel. But the government have opened that up, and rightly fucking so, they should get burned for it if clubs are doing it. So I've got no problem with anyone taking money from the government at this time because they are not helping our industry. They've dismissed us as fucking irrelevant, in my opinion.
2: I wouldn't do it here. I would have um, parted company with the player first, perhaps, Um, mainly because I I wouldn't want it to linger. You know, I'm quite, from my understanding, you know, dressing room harmony harmony is really important. Um, And I want the best, most elite players who want to win in the squad all the time. Um, if you've got a player on furlough, then I guess he's at home. You might as well just deregister him. Then I don't know. You know, it's it's still. I'm not sure. Maybe it's something I never thought about. Um, again with the salary cap, and here's one of the other jokes about that. Port Vale deregistered Harry McCurdy. They deregistered Theo Robinson to fit Curtis Guthrie, our striker, under their cap. I considered it on deadline day about one of our players. Um. And 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 I, and I couldn't believe we were even thinking about having to do that. But then to uh, those players, I don't even know if they're still registered, which is another hilarious point in itself. It's crazy, and uh, but no, no, look, it, 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 like Dara said, it, it's there. I'm afraid if you leave the system there, clubs will use it. I don't think they're breaking the law. It's probably immoral, but it's probably the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? On what's immoral in 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 sport. Moral is telling somebody you can't earn
1: a, a, any income as a business. <laughs>
2: That's yeah. awesome. well, I mean, yeah, yeah, and, and so it's it's one of them. Yeah, I, I can see why they've done it because I guess it's cheaper than paying them off, you know. And they may have sat a player down and said, "Look, we're going to furlough you. You need to find a new club." And I can assure you, there weren't many clubs looking to sign players in January, even below us, above us, whatever. Um, So maybe some people just fell foul of it in the end, maybe.
0: So I have one last question for you, Ryan, and this is more related to Bradford. You know, we've obviously had some ups and downs over the last few months. Uh, You talked about being second bottom in League Two and now going on the run that we've been on, which, you know, from a positional perspective, I think we're 20th, but we've got a bunch of games in hand. You know, what's your focus for the rest of the year? Is the focus, let's just make sure we're safe and get some momentum and build? Or is there a true, you know... this? Us supporters always look at, um, you know, start adding six points automatically for other games in hand, and start saying, "Well, you know what? At that point, we're only three points off the playoffs. You know, what's the realistic goal for the rest well, of the season?"
2: I can only give, I could only answer that in one way, Phil. When I took the job, I had two major issues: uh, fix the squad and keep us up. Okay, we have got to stay in the division. We cannot avoid go to the national league it's absolutely unthinkable for this club, and it still is. And those goals kind of remain the same. I think, you know, we've we've begun to improve. Our recruitment cycle, uh, style has changed. Our squad is getting better. There is a genuine focus and vision for the future. And we've improved our position in the league table. The job's not done. I think we might need another 10 or 15 points to stay up. Um, but as I touched on earlier, I think about the building of the squads and having to restart and all the decks of cards falling down every summer, which is absolutely exhausting and you create the nonsense of getting everyone excited and then they get the reality check and excited again and, you know, and it drives people away. Um So from my perspective and my message to Mark and Connor has been, if we want to aim for the playoffs, great, no doubt. You know, it's mathematically possible. we we'll are probably about as close to the playoffs as we are the drop zone. We haven't played for a long time, so I can't remember, really remember, but I think it's like 10 from the playoffs, maybe eight from the drop zone with three games in hand on most of the top seven. So it's game on. I want us to finish as well as we can and I want us to hit the summer with a a sort of half-cooked squad with momentum. So when we start next season, it's kind of like, do you remember what we did last season? Rather than, oh, thank God that's over. We never want to talk about that again. It shouldn't be about that. It should be more about... Do you remember where we came from and how we got to there? And now look at us and look at where we're going. This is really exciting. That's how you will build momentum and keep it. and And my belief is that when you've got momentum, you don't get your deck chair out, you don't put the slippers on, you definitely don't light the cigar. You go harder and more adrenaline and more pressure and more focus on every on every element of what you're trying to achieve. And I think that you get what you get. You get back what you put in. It's a real simple method. And, it, you know, my last club, we went from, I've got to be honest, mid-range championship rugby league side to Super League contenders in three years because we absolutely stuck to our plan and never deviated, regardless of dips, ups, downs, left, right, centres. Um It's a different game. It's a different level, but the it, all the same techniques apply. Um And it's not just, you know, on the pitch. There are going to be... Off the field, there'll be further appointments probably in the summer. In the backroom staff, we're going to improve and strengthen and reshape um, to give ourselves every chance. But I don't want to do it on a on a one shot. Chuck a dart at a ball. Like, it's not going to work, you know. And it might take a bit longer, but as long as it's sustained and it's and it's gradual, and people can see that sort of. I think people talk about Bantams progressivism. You know, it's an old phrase. If, if they can see that, then I'm, I'm, I'm you know, they'll be on board.
0: And I guess my last question um, for Darry, you've, you've had a lot of highs, you've had a lot of lows, you know, the ups and the downs. And we've talked a lot, a lot about it being a bit of a cycle. You know, how do you approach the lows? Like, how do you manage? Because bumps will happen. So just any thoughts or advice you have on like just staying the kind of uh, course?
1: Listen to Ryan for an hour. I think he's built for handling that. So I don't think there's any issue whatsoever. Uh, don't let your family get bothered by social media. Get them to stay away from it. Um, what i would give you is, Stay on it, even when you're getting harassed. Because if you're on it when you win, you got to be on it when you lose. Don't go hiding like other people have to do with clubs. Like, oh, great, we're winning. Look at me, I'm on social media. Fucking deal with it both ways. I tend to leave it till Monday. I don't go on on a start we win. I don't go on if we lose. I address it on Monday. Eventually, you'll probably get to do the same. Um, but you're built for this. You're fine. You seem to have good people around you there. You're building a nice little team with your recruitment manager, your two managers that you've got. Um, you've got the backing of the owner. The fans are definitely giving you time because the results are picked up and you're new. Just be transparent with the fans. Tell the truth. Don't bullshit them. You know, if it's bad, tell them it's bad. If it's good, tell them, hey, look, this is optimism. This is good. We want a promotion run. And don't ever try and bullshit football fans because they smell it, hear it. And the minute they can pull that on you all the time and that trust is lost, that's when you have issues. You know, I wish you well. You're going to do great. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you have a good end to the season and it'll be exciting for Bradford fans for next year because... That's um it's it's a massive football club and it's fucking nonsense. It's in League Two. So you, you know, by the sounds of it, it won't be from. Uh which is a credit to you, Ryan, and, and thanks for coming on today, buddy.
0: Well, Ryan, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you as always, Dara. Um if anyone has questions for the next pod, we're gonna be back on February the twenty-fourth. You can submit questions to contact at hardtruthfootball.com. Or go to hardtruthfootball.com. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Ryan, thank you. Dara, thanks a lot.